Welcome to the 27th of February edition of Worcester Talking News, brought to you by Worcester News and Equipment for the Blind and with kind permission of Worcester News. I'm Phil, and the team for this week's edition comprises of John Plus as recording engineer, Carol Hartle on copying and admin, and my co-reader today is Catherine. Hello. You can see we're fairly short-staffed today. It must be the (laughs) floods. I'd like to extend a warm welcome to any new listeners and hope you enjoy our recording. As always, we will include a list of useful phone numbers, what's on in the local theatres, the headline stories, general news stories, some sport, obituaries, thought for the week, sunrise and sunset times and the birthdays. And if we don't have a record of your birthday and you'd like to be included, please get in touch so we can add it to our birthday file. Please do keep sending us your feedback, good and bad, as the team here wants to make the recording as pleasurable and as relevant as possible for you. If you do have any comments or problems, our telephone number is 01905 767 766. Please be prepared for an answer phone to take your call. Alternatively, put a note in your wallet. Listeners are kindly reminded to return memory sticks promptly to facilitate a smooth operation and use of resources. As from now, as you probably know, you will only receive two weeks of recordings. If neither of these are returned, you will not receive further recordings. If you are unwell or have a problem, please ring us on Worcester 767 766 and leave a message. Finally, the service is free to users. But if you'd like to make a donation, it could be sent to Colin Chance House, Wilds Lane, Worcester, WR5 1DA. So let's start this week with Catherine's summary of what's on locally. Uh, There's not a lot on this uh, this week, but I've picked out three things, all of which happen to to be going on in Malvern. Um, Most notable is the Borderlines Film Festival, which begins tomorrow, Friday the 28th of February, and continues until Sunday the 15th of March. If you're a film buff, this is your chance to see films that you wouldn't normally see around here, and many of the films in the Borderlines Film Festival will be showing at Malvern Theatres, including Emma, uh, a Sudanese film called Talking About Trees, the Oscar winner, Parasite, and indeed Fellini's classic from 1960, La Dolce Vita. Tickets for all showings are £7.50. You can find the whole programme online at borderlinesfilmfestival.org or by calling Malvern Theatres on 01684 892 Also at Malvern, uh, on March the 5th, that's next Thursday, the highly regarded pianist Stephen Huff will be giving a recital at beginning at 7.45pm. His programme will include Bach, Chopin and Liszt. Tickets are £22.40 for that and you can book by phoning again 01684 If pop music is more or perhaps equally to your taste... Then also at Malvern, and this is coming up a little bit later in March, the world's premier Beatles tribute band are performing on Friday the 20th of March at 7.45. Tickets will be £34.72. 
There's a special set to mark the 50th anniversary of Abbey Road. Um, and here's a quote from the uh, brochure for Malvern Theatres. The show is an absolute must for Beatle maniacs of all ages. That's on the 20th of March. So if you want to get your ticket in advance for that, again, phone Malvern 01684 892277. Thank you, Catherine. And now those telephone numbers that I promised you. Here in Wilds Lane, we are 01905 767766. The police non-emergency number is 101. Crime Stoppers is 0800 555 The Worcester Hub is 01905 765765. Worcester Live is 01905 611427. Malvern Theatres are 01684 892277. Out of Hours Medical Services, the NHS helpline is 111. And the Samaritans, and this is a free phone number, are 116123. I hope that helps. And now I'm going to ask Catherine to read out the headlines for the week. Right. So the headlines are as follows. Last Friday... Um, February the 21st Why did man take photo of our girls? On Saturday the headline was Major development ready to go at last On Monday Up and running Tuesday's headline was Punishment is just a slap on the wrist Wednesday's headline Here we go again And Thursday Floods force people to flee Right, so plenty of flooding to come. We'll start then with Friday, February the 21st's headline, which is, Why did man take photo of our girls? The two mums say they have been petrified after a man took a photo of their two-year-old daughters and grabbed one of the girls by the wrist on a bus to Worcester. Police and First Bus are investigating after Leanne Gardner and Katie Milton reported the incident, which took place on the 144 service from Fernal Heath to Worcester. Miss Gardner, 24, says she and her friend, Miss Milton, 22, and their daughters were sitting at the back of the bus on the way to nursery in Worcester when the incident happened. She says the man was sitting next to them, along with two other men and a woman, when he turned to the side, held his phone up and took a selfie. I said to him, what do you think you're doing? He acted as if he couldn't understand what I was saying. I asked him to delete the photos he'd just taken, and I got a smirk and a sorry from him. Miss Gardner said she grabbed her daughter and put her on her lap, but as she attempted to pick up Miss Milton's daughter, the man gripped onto the little girl's arm before letting go. She said they moved away from the man and his companions and warned the bus driver about the situation, which happened on February the 3rd at around 8.30am. The mums say they have seen the same man and his companions on the bus since February the 3rd, so have now started getting an earlier service to avoid him. I feel petrified, said Miss Gardner. I have been getting us up and out early for my daughter's nursery so that I don't have to face him again. This man has a picture of our daughters on his phone. He grabbed an innocent two-year-old girl. What the hell is he going to do with this picture? Miss Bilton added, since the incident, I have been frightened of getting the bus on my own in fear, in fear that I'll see them again, which I have. Every time I catch the same bus for my daughter's nursery, they sit at the back with their heads down. I just want to know what they want with photos of our young girls and why they have them on their phone. It makes me feel sick to my stomach. 
The mums say the police told them that the CCTV was not working on the bus that day. Miss Gardner managed to take a photo of the three men as they were leaving the bus. Rob Hughes, head of operations at bus company First Worcester, said, We take all matters such as this seriously and we will do everything we can to help identify the alleged person involved. We would also advise all customers who travel with us that if an incident should take place on a bus, they should always make our drivers aware, as they can provide either support or, if necessary, seek assistance from the police or other support services. Miss Gardner said she had put in a complaint to First Bus about the CCTV not apparently working that day. Police have confirmed the incident was reported at 9.30 on February the 3rd. A spokesman said, Police take these matters seriously and we are investigating the incident. If anyone has any information, please call 101 using reference 151S 030220. Right, and here is the main story for Saturday, February the 22nd. Major development ready to go at last. A developer behind the city's biggest ever regeneration scheme says the project is finally ready to go after years of delays. The huge and much-needed regeneration of the Sheriff's Street Industrial Estate in Worcester's Shrub Hill area was given another green light by Worcester City Council planners last Thursday, February 20th, with the plan already years behind schedule. Developer Sheriff Gate Limited said demolition would start within the next three to four months after receiving fresh planning permission by the council, with work then expected to take two and a half years to complete. Stenard Harrison from Sheriff Gate Limited eased concerns and said he was ready to go after changes to the plan were approved. Mr Harrison said... This scheme has evolved over the years. We've now got all the planning permission approved and we're ready to go. Worcester has never seen anything quite like this plan in one go. It is the start of a regeneration of this side of the city in the Shrub Hill area. The multi-million pound plan includes hundreds of new apartments, shops, a hotel and a new footbridge to Worcester Shrub Hill railway station. Plans were first put forward in March 2012, but were not approved until December 2018, after long negotiations between the developer and the City Council. Councillor Lynn Denham, who represents Cathedral Ward, where the development would take place, called for actual progress for the area of the city, which desperately needs regenerating. The lengthy wrangling that's taken place between the developer and city council planning officers has not really been in the best interests of the city, she said. I think it's important that some progress is actually made, which is what is best for local communities. Councillor Chris Mitchell, chairman of the planning committee, said we've been trying to get this site redeveloped for a number of years and I think we're getting closer. Whilst obviously, like any development, there are going to be adverse elements to it that some people don't like, overall it would be a significant improvement on what is there at the moment. And this he told the planning committee at a meeting at the Guildhall on Thursday. The developer had put forward a number of changes to the order of the four-phase development, all of which were approved, including building 212 flats and a small shop in the first phase and a 675-space car park, 180 flats and a shop, as well as the restoration of the lock building in the second phase. 
The third phase would consist of building 76 flats, shops and a new building for a hotel or a different leisure use. The fourth and final phase would see a footbridge built between the site and Worcestershire Hill Railway Station. The hybrid planning application put forward in 2012 and approved last December showed the multi-storey car park would have been built first, as well as 135 homes and a shop, followed by a hotel and the footbridge in the second phase. More homes would have followed in the third phase. The original hope for the grand scheme, which was expected to take at least four years, meant it would have been completed last year. Councillor Roger Berry expressed some concerns and wished for a guarantee that work would get off the ground after seeing similarly huge and aspirational plans fail to materialise despite getting planning permission. He said, it's a major bit of city centre redevelopment. It's something we desperately need. The problem I've got is that I remember approving an excellent scheme in Diglas and we didn't actually ever get that. My concern is how do we make sure we get all the things that are on offer here? Clearly, hotels seem to come and go. All sorts of things are put in here. It is a comprehensive development, which is what we want. But how does one make sure that we get that, rather than people choosing the attractive options that often confront developers? Right, now Monday brought us up and running. Doors open at Parkway. Worcestershire's first new railway station in more than 100 years officially opened its doors for the first time yesterday, that's Sunday last. Worcestershire Parkway, which is the product of many years' delay and setbacks, finally opened for business after more than 30 years' planning. Rail staff, councillors and passengers arrived early to see the arrival of the first train into the station, the 0829 to London Paddington. Matthew Galton, Interim Managing Director of Great Western Railway, said he was excited the station was finally open and that he hoped it would be a boost to the county's economy. It has been 30 years in the planning and taken a lot of work to get here. It is very, very exciting. This station is going to be served by GWR and cross-country trains and there are going to be 60 services every day to places like London, Nottingham and Cardiff. This station is about putting Worcestershire on the map from a rail connectivity point of view. It is going to make a big difference to local journeys and being able to get in and out of the county quickly. Mr Galton also praised Worcestershire County Council for its work in developing the site and getting the station up and running, adding, it is really important to pay tribute to the County Council for their vision to have this station here. Worcestershire is a really important county and it is important people can get here quickly. Now it is open, Worcestershire Parkway features 500 parking spaces, including electric charging points, and Mr Galton said he hoped the station would soon be on its way to serving more than a quarter of a million passengers a year. Worcestershire County Councillor Ken Pollock said he was delighted to see the station open and was impressed with the appearance of the finished building. He said, It's a very smart-looking building, lots of glass and metal, and it is an attractive place. I'm looking forward to seeing hundreds of people coming through here. It's quite remarkable that three years ago we cut the first sod outside and it has obviously taken longer than we would have liked. But now to have the whole place ready to go and the first train arriving is tremendously exciting. It is one of the funny things that we have had this cross-country line running north to south through the county for years with the trains not stopping here. At the moment, we have got the Cardiff-Nottingham trains stopping here, as well as the London services, but I hope we could eventually get the Plymouth and Aberdeen service too. Thanks, Phil. Right, well, the 
Headline for Tuesday, February the 25th, was a quotation. Punishment is just a slap on the wrist. A vape shop owner in Worcester says the teenager who smashed one of his windows has only been given a slap on the wrist. Andrew Connellan, who runs Connect Two Vapes in Broad Street, was reacting to the news that Amber Randall, who threw a rock through the shop front window in June last year, has been given a conditional discharge and told to pay him £150 after admitting criminal damage. But Mr Connellan had to spend £300 to replace the window and then around £700 more to upgrade his security as the attack left him feeling his shop was vulnerable. He said, It's a slap on the wrist, but I'm not surprised. The more we do this nicey-nicey stuff with offenders, the worse it gets. If we do get compensation, that will be a bonus. It's hard enough for shop owners as it is with shops closing. We've had to spend more money buying cameras and lights and fixing the window. We reckon the cost all in was the best part of £1,000. The window itself cost £300, then we had the lights and cameras to go with it. The other aspect of it is time. It's time I could have spent doing something more positive. We've had another incident like this in the meantime, where a young lad came and kicked our window. Randall appeared before magistrates in Worcester on February the 20th, charged with criminal damage, after she admitted she'd thrown a rock through the window. Two brothers were also charged in relation to the incident, but they were not in court on the same day. A warrant was issued for Jack Bennett, who failed to attend his hearing at Worcester Magistrates, while his brother, James, is due to appear before magistrates in Telford to face the charges on February the 28th. The court heard how Randall, who was 17 at the time of the offence, had been walking through the city with two other people at around 1am on the morning of June the 12th last year. CCTV images show two members of the group throwing rocks at the window before moving on. At this point, Randall returned to the shop and threw another rock at the window. She voluntarily attended a police interview and admitted she'd thrown the rocks, saying she felt she had to because she would be stabbed otherwise. Despite this, the interviewing officer told her she'd returned to the scene after her two accomplices had moved on, so she couldn't have been acting under duress. Mark Lister, representing Randall, said, You will notice from her record that her only other offence is for two thefts on November the 14th last year. This offence predates that one. Amber is 18 now, and the two others involved were young men she'd known only for a couple of days. They were a poor influence on her. It was their idea to do it, and she rather foolishly went along with it. She was only adding to the damage already done, as the window was already broken. Magistrates gave Randall a six-month conditional discharge as well as ordering her to pay a £20 victim surcharge and £130 compensation. Right, I'm looking at a car halfway up its wheels in water, and the headline is, Here We Go Again. Floods have hit Worcester for a second time, just as people and businesses were starting to recover. Just days after people fled their homes from some of the worst flooding in the city in recent years, water once again poured into Croft Street and Hilton Road. There was heavy traffic congestion, particularly in St John's, as the city's main bridge was closed to allow a contraflow system to be set up along New Road, while, most sim- while almost simultaneously the Carrington Bridge had to be shut due to a serious crash. The flooding came on rapidly, with those parked in car parks beside the river warned to move their vehicles or risk them being stranded. 
Within 30 minutes, water had consumed many of the city's car parks, leaving firefighters having to try to help those whose cars were stranded in water. The car parks will be closed again today, including Cattle Market, Croft Road, Newport Street, Pitchcroft or Tybridge Street. River levels were expected to rise overnight, with Hilton Road and Tybridge Road expected to remain closed today. That's Wednesday. Sabrina Footbridge and Diglas Footbridge will also both be closed. And residents in Worcestershire who live near to the River Severn have been warned that further flooding is expected today as the knock-on effect of rainfall in Wales last weekend is felt in Worcestershire. Officers from West Mercia Police and Hereford and Worcester Fire and Rescue Service have advised residents flooded before in Hilton Road and Diglis to consider leaving their homes as river levels were not expected to peak until today or tomorrow. Police also checked on residents in Powick yesterday, although the latest information suggests that this area is not currently expected to flood again. Superintendent Mark Cahoon from the West Mercia Police, speaking on behalf of the multi-agency flood response, said, We would advise that people in the local area whose properties are potentially at risk of flooding should consider making alternative accommodation arrangements, as it is likely water levels will continue to rise. According to the Environment Agency, the level of the Severn recorded in Barbourne, Worcester, was 5.4 metres yesterday. Flooding is possible once the level reaches 3.35 metres. The level is predicted to peak again today between 5.6 and 5.9 metres, a level similar to that seen last week. At Diglis, the levels were 4.88, considerably higher than the 2.8 metres that is required to cause flooding in this area and are expected to reach 5.1 to 5.4 metres today. In Upton, flooding is possible when the river reaches 4.4 metres. The latest recording shows that levels were at 5.08 and they are expected to reach between 5.5 and 5.8 metres tomorrow. Handley Castle High School will be closed today, that's Wednesday, and in an email to parents, the school confirmed that they would be closed for the next two days. Police say anyone with concerns can be reported to police on 101, and anyone in Worcester who does not have any alternative arrangements available should call 01905 72233. Well, after that story, I'm afraid that today the main story has also been about the floods. Floods force people to flee. Flooding has forced residents in Diglis to flee their homes. People evacuated to hotels and other accommodation as houses in Diglis Avenue filled up with flood water for the second time in as many weeks. Aid Cartwright, 50, left his home when it became apparent the water was not going anywhere and there's a photograph of him standing ankle deep in water on the front page. He said... My wife and I left, along with most of the neighbours. The city council have put us up in the Founds Hotel. We're managing, but it is difficult living in one room together 24 hours a day. Last weekend it came into the house. Luckily we were prepared. Once the water receded, we managed to clear it up with a few friends within four hours. Now it's happened again. We've decided to leave. We can't do anything until the levels drop, and I don't envisage that happening until the weekend. It is annoying, but what can you do? We've just got to go with the flow. There are people that are worse off than we are. Mr Cartwright said... He feels like the community have really come through for him. He said, 
I feel we've been very well supported and looked after. The City Council have been absolutely brilliant, as have the Environmental Agency and the Fire Service. We've been given an emergency grant and suitable accommodation and plenty of flood warnings in advance. I cannot fault the approach. Everyone has all piled in together to help, including the neighbours and the ladies down at the Cathedral Café providing bacon butties and drinks to the workers. It's been very community-led. West Mercia Police and the Hereford and Worcester Fire and Rescue Service have been visiting residents on Diglis Avenue to provide advice and reinsurance. Councillor Adrian Gregson, Deputy Leader of Worcester City Council, said the City Council is committed to supporting residents through the many problems and challenges that a major flood presents. We have a dedicated team who are keeping in regular contact with the 50-plus householders who've been flooded. We're checking on their welfare, offering practical help and finding them temporary accommodation when needed. The latest river level recording at Diglis came in at 5.08 metres. The highest level ever recorded here is 5.3 metres. That's close. Mm-hmm. Right, we'll move away from the floods for a while now as we move to the section where we uh, work on a selection of other news stories to bring you, which we hope you're going to find of interest. I'm going to start with one uh, which bids farewell to Knowles Sports Shop. Farewell to Knowles. One of Worcester's oldest and most loved family businesses has closed its doors for the final time. Knowles Sports in Broad Street, along with the travel goods store opposite, was closed by owner Rick Knowles for the final time on Saturday after more than 135 years in business. Friends, family and former staff all came to the shop to say goodbye and there was an atmosphere of hope as the store closed. Speaking as he closed the shop, Mr Knowles said, There are mixed emotions, really, yes, it's a sad day to be closing and it is sad that everything has to come to an end, but there's a lot of positivity about the future. The stock has gone down very well and having made this decision, it's on to the next chapter. Being a keen cyclist and skier, Mr Knowles said he was looking forward to doing that and spending time with his family, adding that he would be taking things one step at a time. He also thanked customers for their support, saying many had come in reminiscing about their memories of the place, adding, right from when we announced the closure in November, I would say virtually every day we've had people coming in and saying how sad it is. The amount of people who have come in and said they bought their first cricket bat or tennis racket is really special. Everyone has said the same sort of things, but there have been overwhelmingly lots of nice comments. The original Knowles shop was set up by Rick Knowles' great-grandfather Albert in 1884 as A.J. Knowles Limited, a saddle and tennis racket shop. Albert died from pneumonia at the age of just 39 in 1902 and at that point his wife Mary took over the store. Their son Arthur took over when he came back from serving in the First World War, working in the shop for the next five decades until he died in 1971 at the age of 78. From then his son Robin ran the shop, which had by then expanded to two shops until his tragic death in a climbing accident in 1992 at the age of 60. After Robin's death, Rick took over the shop, having worked as a ski instructor in Switzerland before joining the family business at the age of 20. In November, Mr Knowles said he was closing the store due to a decline in footfall, largely due to the effects of online shopping, adding that he wanted to close rather than go bust. 
Well, here's a story about something opening, in fact. A brand new men's shed in Malvern is opening its doors for the first time to showcase the opportunities available within. The Malvern Men's Shed is holding open events from February the 24th to the 28th between 11am and 2pm and has been initially funded by Community Action. The facility will allow users to meet other like-minded people, share interests and knowledge and put their creative skills into action. There are also plans for a session where women will be invited to attend. Corin Phillips from Community Action said, We're really excited to have been able to set up the Men's Shed project in Malvern. We're confident that it will fulfil a real need amongst the local community and we're pleased to say that so far the response has been very encouraging. We look forward to watching the initiative develop over the coming months. The drop-in events will provide visitors with the chance to chat with existing shedders, have a look round the shed and find out firsthand about the benefits of getting involved. Representatives of Community Action will also be on hand to answer questions and provide more information. Malvern Men's Shed can be found at 4 Newtown Road, Linktop, Malvern, WR 141NZ. UK Men's Sheds Association is a registered charity which supports men's sheds across the UK. They work hard to inspire and develop as many men's sheds as possible, the aim being to benefit men's health and well-being. This includes reducing isolation and loneliness faced by, faced by local communities and empowering people in those communities. Right. And here's a nice story. Uh, joggers pass over a £1,000 charity cash. A popular running group presented a cheque to the Malvern Citizens Advice Bureau. The Malvern joggers handed over the cheque on Wednesday, February 12th, having raised nearly £1,000 from their fundraising events throughout the year. Events included the MJ 10km race held in June, as well as the groups marshalling the East Norm Mud Bath. Chris Bucock from the CAB said, I wanted to thank the Malvern joggers for their magnificent fundraising activities on our behalf. As a small charity with no guaranteed income, this kind of contribution is absolutely vital in keeping us afloat and able to serve thousands of people in South Worcestershire. The club has now voted for Acorns Children's Hospice to be their next chosen charity for 2020. The Malvern Joggers held their AGM last Wednesday and a new chairman in Warwick Taylor was appointed. In addition, a new treasurer was appointed in Nick Johnson. These two replaced the outgoing members. Also appointed was Sarah Clark as social secretary. Mr Taylor said, We have a fantastic club in the Malvern Joggers with a great community of like-minded and supportive runners. It is a really friendly and sociable club. My aim is to ensure that if for anyone in Malvern and surrounding areas that wants to run, we can help them achieve their running goals, big or small, whether you've never run before or whether you want to run an ultra marathon. And of course, we have the amazing Malvern Hills to run on. And here's an item which, in a way, is salutary for us all. Um, The headline is Scam Calls Alert. Police are continuing to warn residents to be vigilant as more scam phone calls have been reported across West Mercia. 
One scam saw the caller pretending to be a police officer called DC Alan Harper. The scammer asked the victim if they banked with Barclays as their card had been used in Argos in London and £499 had been taken out. The victim did not disclose personal details but was even, even so shaken by receiving such a call. Another report said the victim had received a call from someone claiming to be Mark Johnson from Amazon Prime on telephone number 0203-290-1080. The fraudster said there was a problem with the victim's Prime account and unfortunately an extra request for £50 was coming through. If you receive a call by someone claiming to be a police officer, HMRC, bank or other official body asking for money, hang up immediately, wait 10 minutes, then call 101. And now I've got an update for you on the story of Oscar Saxelby Lee, who you might remember has been battling leukaemia and recently went to Singapore for special treatment. A man is appealing for donations to send a care package to a young Worcester boy who is fighting cancer. Adam Llewellyn from Worcester has launched the appeal to send gifts to Oscar Saxelby Lee, who is battling leukaemia and receiving treatment in Singapore. Mr Llewellyn said he would like to give the six-year-old toys and gift cards so the family can enjoy movies on iTunes together. He said, I think it would be nice to send Oscar and his parents a few gifts to help keep their spirits up, as being isolated must be mentally challenging. The parents are doing amazing, and Oscar is our little Worcester warrior, so let's try and raise a smile through these challenging times. It's such a sad story, I'm just praying for a happy ending for the family. Since the plea, John Lenigan from Fight for Fitness in Sheriff Street has donated the month's membership, which will be put up for auction. Ye old Talbot in Friar Street has donated around £100 towards the pot. Mr Llewellyn says he's hoping to send a package to the family at the hospital in Singapore on Saturday, February 29th. He added, Like many others across Worcestershire, I've been keeping a close eye on how Oscar and his family are since going to Singapore for the treatment. It must be so hard being away from friends and family while in a hospital that's not like our NHS. We all wish we could help, and everyone donated an incredible amount to make this possible, but I had the idea after watching a few recent videos the family uploaded. If anyone would like to chip in or donate a prize to be auctioned off email, try adam.llewellyn at sky.com. There will also be a card to sign at the Worcester Royal Hospital. Hand in Hand for Oscar, a Facebook page run by Oscar's parents, recently revealed that he has leukencephalopathy, a white matter disease that wears away internal tissue within the brain. Mm. Right. Uh, Here's a report about the university. The City Uni, good for diversity. More disadvantaged students bagged places at the University of Worcester last year amid a national push to diversify higher education intakes. Of 1,395 students aged under 21 who started a full-time undergraduate course at the University of Worcester in 2018-19, 15 15.6% were from places in the UK where relatively few young adults go into higher education. The Higher Education Statistics Agency figures show. 
The proportion has risen compared to the previous year when it was 15% and means those students account for more of the university's intake than the 11.4% average across England, Wales and Northern Ireland. Across the three countries, the proportion of disadvantaged pupils going to university failed to increase last year despite a continued push to boost numbers. The proportion has risen only slightly since 2015-16 when it was 11.1%. The figures also reveal wide variation between institutions. While some universities took more than a quarter of their students from disadvantaged areas, the proportion was less than 5% at one in five institutions. Chris Millwood, Director for Fair Access and Participation at the Office for Students, England's higher education watchdog, said improvement had remained modest despite significant efforts and investment over many years. He said, The reality is that each year of slow progress is one where thousands of people with the ability to excel in higher education are missing out. That is why it is so important that all universities and colleges registered with the Office for Students have set out the work they will do over the next five years to cut deep-seated gaps in higher education access and outcomes between the most and least advantaged students. Right. And now, under a picture of the Guild Hall, comes Living Wage Could Cost Council £300,000. Paying the living wage to all the people it employs could cost the City Council around £300,000 more a year, it has been revealed. Worcester City Council has been working on becoming an accredited living wage employer for some months following a call last October. The Council must move to ensure all of the third-party companies it works with also pay the living wage to its staff in order to become accredited, and it expects to add at least £300,000 a year to its costs, as none of the contractors identified are living wage employers. The Council has been paying the living wage since 2014, but has not yet looked for accreditation from the Living Wage Foundation. The real living wage, which is currently £9.30 an hour for over-18s outside London, is based on what is considered a level of income for an acceptable standard of living. Councillor Lynn Denham, who put forward the motion calling for the council to work towards accreditation, said she was pleased to see some progress and the added cost would be uplifting to some of the city's lowest paid workers. She said... I'm really pleased to see that officers have made progress in investigating the way forward. Any costs will be about uplifting the wages of some of the lowest paid people in the city. That money will be spent in the local economy and will be spent on paying their bills and so on. To become an accredited employer, the council must ensure all of its third-party contracted staff are paid this real living wage, identified as any contract with at least two hours a week for eight consecutive weeks. The real wage has been adopted to distinguish it from the national living wage of £8.21 an hour for over 25s, which is due to rise to £8.72 from April, and this is set by the government. The national minimum wage, also set by the government, is currently £6.15 for workers aged between 18 and 20, and £7.70 for those aged between 21 and 24. Any contracts the council signs in the future would have to take the living wage into account and explain the council's aspirations to any potential supplier. The council expects it to take at least five years to ensure the living wage is paid to all its staff.
The report will be discussed by councillors at a meeting on Wednesday, February the 26th. Oh, here's news of another shop shutting down. A discount shop in the city centre is set to close in a matter of weeks, the Worcester News has been told. Poundland's store in the Shambles will be shut down in the next few weeks. Poundland also has a shop in Broad Street, which will remain open. Responding to the news, Worcester City Councillor Jabaria said another shop closing is not good for the city. The retail picture for the UK looks pretty bleak, but Worcester punches well above its weight. I'm very disappointed with it closing, but I suppose it was only a matter of time, as there are other similar shops in the High Street, and Poundland are just probably consolidating their retail business. I feel for the employees at this difficult time. We reported in September last year that West Midlands high streets are some of the most impacted by shop closures across Britain, with the region seeing 2.2% of stores shut in the first six months of the year, while the national average is 1.83%. Game shops, men's clothes, takeaways and charity shops are amongst the hardest hit in the region, while store openings across the UK have fallen to a five-year low. Sarah Phillips, Midlands Retail and Consumer Specialist for Professional Services Network, PwC, said, We're seeing retailers operating in an increasingly challenging environment, and this is particularly exasperating in city centre locations where there is a high density of retailers. However, the rate of closures in the region's cities is surprising at a time we're seeing significant investment and regeneration taking place across the region. The Poundland chain was founded in 1990 by Dave Dodd and Stephen Smith. The Worcester News contacted Poundland to ask for a comment, but did not receive a response. Right, let's get back to the river, shall we? Bishop Aids River Rescue. The Bishop of Worcester played a key role in the rescue of a man who was drowning in the River Severn. The Bishop, the Right Reverend Dr John Inge, helped to direct rescuers to the man after seeing him go past his office window at the cathedral. I looked out of the window of my office and noticed a man flowing past very quickly at the west end of Worcester Cathedral, he said. I jumped on my folding bike so I could get to the scene to direct emergency services to the right location, as I knew he would be difficult to spot. The man was using the side of the river bank to slow himself down, and as soon as I reached him, the emergency services launched a boat and came rushing to the location. They have done brilliantly, the emergency services, throughout this difficult flooding time and during this particular incident. I want to give my thanks to them, said the bishop, and my thoughts and prayers are with the rescued man and his family. We reported on Thursday on the swift response by emergency services who rushed to Worcester Bridge at 12.11pm after reports of the man in the river. West Midlands Ambulance Service spokesman said, We were called to reports of a patient in the water near to Copenhagen Street in Worcester at 12.11. One ambulance, two paramedic officers, the Trust's Hazardous Area Response Team, the Midlands Air Ambulance Critical Car Care a critical care car, that should be, and the Midlands Air Ambulance from Strensham was sent to the scene. On arrival, we discovered one patient, a man, who was rescued from the water by the fire service. He was treated by the ambulance staff at the scene before being transported by land ambulance to Worcestershire Royal Hospital in a serious condition. Dear me. Right, uh, here's one from Worcester Magistrates Court. 
man-pawned ex-wife's earring. A Droitwich man said he was only guilty of not returning lost property after he admitted stealing and pawning a diamond earring belonging to his ex-wife. Daniel Dighton admitted theft by finding after selling an 18-carat white gold diamond earring belonging to Natalie Williams last year. The court heard how Miss Williams was visiting Dighton's home in July last year when one of the clasps broke on one of her earrings. Because of this, she removed it and placed it in her handbag, leaving to go back to her own address. When she arrived home later, she found the earring was missing and phoned a local pawn shop to ask whether anyone had sold them a similar item. They confirmed one earring matching its description had been sold to them for £70 on July the 10th, confirming it had been Dighton who had sold them the earring by checking the ID records of the sale. Dighton appeared unrepresented in court and said, besides the fact she got the earring back, the only thing I'm guilty of in my eyes is not returning lost property. Yes, I'm guilty of theft by finding. Magistrates fined Dighton £80 in addition to costs of £135 and a victim surcharge of £32 when he appeared in court in Worcester on February the 20th. They had originally ordered compensation of £70, but the prosecution told the court there was no address on the record for Natalie Williams, so they could not apply for it. 33-year-old Dighton of Trent Close, Droitwich, told the court he could just about afford to repay the fine at £10 per week. He has nine previous convictions for theft, the last coming in 2018. OK. Vets' skills help to save puppy, Doug. And there's a picture of Doug. Doug looks a very big puppy. The quick thinking of a Worcester vet ensured a happy ending when bulldog puppy Doug swallowed a ball whole. James Tolkien of Seven Vets was able to safely and skillfully remove the squidgy toy using a special instrument which he was able to slide down into Doug's stomach. The use of the instrument, a slender endoscope fitted with grabbers on the end, meant surgery was not needed and six-month-old Doug was soon back with owner Beth and Matthews, none the worse for wear. However, the practice is now warning owners to be extra cautious about toys they allow to their pets to play with to avoid a repeat of what happened to Doug. Mr Tolkien said, I'd never seen a case where a dog had swallowed a ball whole before. Usually dogs chew them to pieces. I think this happened because the ball was small, soft and squidgy. I did a scan and could see an object in Doug's stomach, so I was pretty sure the ball was in there and was whole. I inserted the endoscope camera and was able to pull it out using the grabbers as it was pliable and had stayed squashed. Clearly, this could have been an extremely serious situation for Doug, and we would appeal to all owners to be mindful of what their pets are playing with. The drama lasted just a couple of hours and meant Doug was able to avoid the need for invasive surgery. Bethan Matthews, a teacher who also has a cat called Sid, said, I thought Doug might need an operation and was concerned as I know bulldogs don't respond well to anaesthetic, but James said he would see if he could grip the ball and pull it out. He rang me within half an hour to say it was possible and that it was all over within a couple of hours. When I went to collect Doug, he'd had lots of fuss and cuddles and was sat in his kettle, quite happily watching the world go by. She added, Doug loves a squeaky toy, but he's never having one like that again. I'm looking for alternatives and would definitely urge other owners to be careful too. This incident has shown me that these squeaky balls might be okay for smaller dogs, but not for a bulldog like Doug. 
Jury hears of stab wound to victim. A pensioner was killed by being stabbed in the heart and neck outside his home and police used CCTV to find their suspect, a jury was told on the third day of a murder trial. Adam Mason, aged 33, of Plough Lane, Tiberton, denies murdering Desmond Wooding at the 80-year-old's home in Vines Lane on June 23rd last year. Mark Mason, aged 55, also a Plough Lane, Tiberton, is alleged to have driven Adam Mason, who is his nephew, away from the scene with the prosecution saying he intended to impede the apprehension or prosecution of Adam Mason, knowing or believing him to be guilty of the murder or another arrestable offence. Prosecutor Adrian Keeling asked Dr Brett Lockyer, a Home Office accredited pathologist, about a post-mortem examination he carried out on June the 25th, two days after Mr Wooding was found dead. Dr Lockyer said he had found 11 significant injuries caused by stabbings and slashes, which he described as sharp force injuries, including one to the neck, one to the lung and one into the heart. He said that either of those particular stab wounds on their own could have been enough to kill the victim. The cause of death I gave was being stab wounds to the neck and chest, Dr Lockyer said. The prosecution alleges the murder weapon could have been a steak knife from the victim's kitchen, as they say one was missing. Dr Lockyer said he had been sent pictures of the knives and said it had the characteristics to be able to cause the injuries. In cross-examination, David Mason QC asked if it was possible the assailant would have had blood on them as a result of the stabbings. Dr Lockyer said this was possible, but would have depended on whether the victim had covered and protected his neck with his hands after the stabbing and the blood pressure at the time. Asked on the blood on the knife after the stabbing, he confirmed that he would have expected there to be some, ranging from traces to a visible stain. Later, Detective Constable Robert Loach took the stand and showed the jury the movements of Adam and Mark Mason captured on CCTV on the afternoon of June the 23rd. It is the prosecution's case that there is a 20-minute time period when Adam Mason doesn't appear on any CCTV, and that must be when he was murdering Mr Wooding. Asked about this further, DC Loach explained that he'd gone through around 10 hours of CCTV footage caught on a camera near the victim's home and another at the Gardener's Arms pub as part of the process of eliminating potential suspects for the murder. DC Loach explained that hundreds of people had passed through the two points, either on foot or car, that day. He told the jury that those that passed through in a short period wouldn't have had a time wouldn't have had time to carry out the killings and so were eliminated as suspects. Mr Keeling asked, the longest period to get between the two points was Mr Mason, wasn't it? To which DC Loach replied, yes. The questioning was set to continue today when the prosecution is due to go through each individual that took a longer than expected period of time to pass between the two points. The trial continues. Well, perhaps if you tuned into Songs of Praise last Sunday, you will have found that it was coming from Persia Abbey, because a popular faith television programme has paid a visit to the county. Songs of Praise is broadcast to millions of viewers each Sunday on BBC One, and the episode which aired on Sunday came from Persia Abbey. Reverend Claire Lording from Persia Abbey said, It's not the first time they've been here. They came to record two years ago, but we were delighted to have the show back again, as they've kept in touch. Songs of Praise is a great show, particularly for the elderly who possibly cannot get to church.
I know one old lady who watches it every single week from her home in the area. She was distraught when the show moved time. To her, the show is her church and means so much to her. One week they filmed in Coventry and she said to me, I've been to Coventry this week. The return visit has really put a spring in everyone's step. A BBC production crew arrived in January to film the latest episode. The show was first broadcast in 1961. As part of the show, hymns and are sung, as well as interviews with worshippers. It is one of the longest-running shows of its type in the world. Events have included, on October the 3rd, 1982, a broadcast from Strangeways Prison, the first time it was broadcast from a prison, and on January the 2nd, 1983, broadcast from the Falkland Islands. The show has had many presenters over the years, including Harry Seacombe, Alan Titchmarsh and Hugh Edwards. Right, the headline on this next story is I Really Feel Let Down. A councillor has called for a scrapped bus service to be reinstated to offer a lifeline to isolated elderly people. Adrian Gregson, Worcester City Ward Councillor for Rainbow Hill, has spoken of how the decision to axe the 34A service almost four years ago has left some elderly residents who live in Hollymount cut off because the steep hill there means they can't walk to Tolladyne Road to get the 35. One of those residents is 82-year-old Estella Thompson, who has lived in Hollymount since 1983. She said, The 34A stopped, and since then I've had to walk up a huge hill to get back home from the 35 bus stop. It's not the distance, it's the incline. I can't manage it. I can only go out to town once a week, as it is all I can manage, but it is a real struggle. I feel like I'm fighting to retain my independence. The thoughtless decision was made to cancel the service, and not one person has thought about the consequences. We are an ageing population around here. We rely on the buses. Some of us are on our own and getting to the bus to go to town is the only time we get out and socialise. Loneliness is a huge problem for the older generation. Without us going into town, we aren't spending money in the cafes and things and it's little wonder that the high street is failing. We can't get there. She added, I feel really let down. I've been using the bus since I was a child. I have probably bought enough bus tickets to buy a whole bus by now. People seem to forget they'll be old one day too. Nigel Eggleton, Managing Director of First Worcester, said, Four years ago, Service 34A was withdrawn due to a very low demand in people using it. To endorse the decision further, as Worcestershire County Council have an obligation to consider supporting services that are not commercially viable, in this instance they chose not to provide financial support to keep the service running. Councillor Gregson said, This is a really difficult problem for the residents that I'm very passionate about. The hill is hard to walk up and people are isolated because of it. I have argued with the county council and the bus company about the scrapping of the service. It seems balmy to me that I can go down to the main road and see three 35 buses come all at once, but this lady and others can't get one. We must do something about it. The buses are a lifeline for these people. It is fundamental. County Councillor Alan Amos, Cabinet Member with Responsibility for Highways, said the County Council is strongly committed to a high-quality bus service. £200,000 extra funding for public transport was approved by councillors at a full council meeting on February 13th. 
The money will not only continue to support existing subsidised services, but will also look to expand the network by adding new services where there are gaps or where no routes have so far been viable. Right. Uh, Here's a story. Man pleads guilty to stolen goods. A man pleaded guilty to handling stolen goods on the morning his trial was due to get underway. Jacob Telford had been due to stand trial on three counts of burglary at Worcester Crown Court on Monday, February the 24th, but a new indictment was put to the defendant in a morning hearing. The 20-year-old, who was handcuffed throughout the hearing, then pleaded guilty to three counts of handling stolen goods. The particulars of the offences are that on Wednesday, July the 31st, Telford received a NatWest bank card, knowing or believing it to be stolen goods, that between Saturday, August the 3rd and Tuesday, August the 6th, Telford received certain stolen goods, mainly a PlayStation 4 controller, knowing or believing it to be stolen goods, And on Tuesday, August the 6th, Telford received another bank card, knowing or believing it to be stolen goods. The goods were stolen in burglaries in Fish Street, Sansom Mews and the Arboretum. After making the pleas, William Douglas Jones, prosecuting, told Judge Nicholas Cartwright that those pleas were acceptable to the Crown. Robert Skinner, defending Telford, said he was a man with no previous convictions apart from possession of amphetamines. Requesting a pre-sentence report, the prosecutor added, this is a man who fell by the wayside due to drug-taking. Judge Cartwright replied, I will order a pre-sentence report. The judge added that he would order the other three burglary charges to lie on file, meaning they won't be proceeded with at this time. He also said that the jury that was expected to hear a one-day trial could be released. Telford, who wore a black puma jumper to court, was told by the judge he will be sentenced at the city's Crown Court on Wednesday, Wednesday, March the 18th. Telford of Maple Avenue, Worcester, was then taken down. Right. Road to shut, but not for 18 months. A busy road will not be closing for 18 months to allow for flood alleviation work, the County Council has confirmed. Concerns had been raised that the A449 Malvern Road at the junction with Old Road just after Manor Farms through the Powick Roundabout could be closed for a lengthy amount of time for flood work after a traffic notice gave an 18-month time frame. However, the planned works are set to start on March 23rd and last for 12 days. The closure will take place overnight between 7pm and 5.30am. Worcestershire County Council said the reference to 18 months on the notice was the expected length of the Southern Link road work, of which this latest closure was just one part. A spokesman for Worcestershire County Council said, Other than an emergency, contractors are required to reserve road space well in advance of carrying out road works that require road closures or other restrictions. The purpose of this is to avoid the risk of other conflicting road works being carried out at the same time. For major projects such as the Southern Link Road, a lengthy period of time is reserved to prevent any clashes with other roadworks at that time. In most cases, the actual closures will be for a very limited time within the reserved period and are confirmed, along with any diversion routes, nearer to the time of the closure. The planned closure of roads in Powick and other diversions through Worcester are part of the fourth and final phase of the County Council's plan to dual the Southern Link Road. 
The current proposed diversion would be via Bromyard Road and along the A44 through St John's and back towards Parrick via Bromwich. The traffic notice related to the closure said road closure to begin works on duct crossings across the A449 Malvern Road. Maintenance works to existing drainage will also be carried out at this time to make use of the road closure in place. Parts of the planned diversion would also be affected if flooding hit the city again. And here's a story about it being Shrove Tuesday, this Tuesday just gone. Uh, Choristers enjoyed a Shrove Tuesday pancake relay race, which took place at the city's cathedral. The annual event took place on Shrove Tuesday at Worcester Cathedral along the three sides of the cloister. Twelve children from the cathedral choir, made up of boy choristers and girl choristers attending King's School Worcester, were split into two teams named Decani and Cantoris. Cantoris was eventually crowned winner. Nicholas Freestone, assistant director of music, said, This is a great opportunity to bring the cathedral community together. The two teams were cheered on by children from King's St Albans. It's a wonderful opportunity to bring the King's School community and the Cathedral community together on a weekday morning. The school children had to dribble a football between some cones on one side, balance a small bean bag on their head along another, and pass a hoop over their head on the third, all the time holding a pan with a pancake in it and flipping it on every corner of the cloister. The Dean of Worcester, the very Reverend Peter Atkinson, said... It's a race between the two teams of choristers. When the choristers are singing a service in the cathedral, they're in rows that face each other. They're on those two teams. One team is called the Decani, which is the Dean's side, and the other side is Cantoris, which means the Precentor side. The race has become a tradition to mark Lent, and there are some lovely photographs of a lot of small people wearing very bright red gowns and rushing around in the cloisters. As you would. Right, we're going to move to sport now. It's a sport's a bit thin this week for fairly obvious reasons, seasonal and flooding included. But here's a nice thought. Ticket offer. Worcestershire County Cricket Club have made a generous offer to people affected by flooding of their homes in the county. They can claim a complimentary family ticket to attend a county championship or Royal London Cup fixture during the 2020 season. The club's own Blackfinch New Road base by the River Seven has again been hit by the flooding. Chiefs hope to have the ground cleaned up in time for the first home game on April 25th against Sussex in Division 2 of the Championship, but will head to Kidderminster's Chester Road base if it's not ready. County Chairman Fanos Hyras said, We recognise the widespread devastation caused by the floods in the Worcestershire area and the suffering it continues to cause to the local community. We hope this small gesture allows those worst affected to come and enjoy some cricket at Blackfinch New Road during the summer. We would also like to thank all those in the city who've worked tirelessly to keep Worcester operational and safe during these difficult days. Our focus will soon shift to the clean-up. In the absence of any further flooding, we anticipate being ready for our first home game on April 25th. Failing that, we have contingency plans for a move to Kidderminster. Uh, a vegan fair is coming to Malvern this weekend with more than 35 stalls offering food, skincare, perfume and clothes. The Malvern Vegan Fair, run by Midlands Vegan Campaigns, is being held at the Sports Dome in Imperial Road this Saturday, February the 29th. 
In addition to the stalls, there will be talks on health and nutrition, the environmental benefits of veganism and cookery demonstrations. Kevin White, the founder of Midlands Vegan Campaign, said veganism is snowballing at a very fast rate in the UK. For many, vegan events are the best starting point if you're vegan curious, an aspiring vegan or already enjoying the benefits of the lifestyle. Every town needs a vegan fair, including Malvern. Hundreds of local people enjoyed Malvern's first vegan fair, but space was very limited. This time, there'll be far more attractions and more space to move around. There will also be free samples, recipes and nutritional guidance on offer. Kevin White continued, The growth of veganism in recent years has been phenomenal. Curious non-vegans are increasingly flocking to vegan events to taste all the delights of vegan cuisine and be inspired by all the lifestyle's benefits for animals, personal health and nutrition and the environment. Veganism has passed a tipping point and is unstoppable now. Entry to the Malvern Vegan Fair is free and all are welcome. It will be open from 10.30 to 4pm at the Sports Dome in Imperial Road. Anyone wanting more information should follow Midlands Vegan Campaigns on Facebook and Twitter. Midlands Vegan Campaigns has also hosted vegan fairs in Evesham, Kidderminster, Coventry, Lichfield, Redditch, Birmingham and Wolverhampton. Right. National bronze medals for RGS hockey girls. RGS Dodderhill girls secured bronze medals at the Independent Schools Association under-15s national hockey tournament. On their debut in the finals at the Queen Elizabeth Olympic Park's Lee Valley Hockey Centre, the team were in high spirits and took each game in their stride. Despite losing the first group clash 1-0 to Clare's Court from Maidenhead, the girls improved their performance to draw with Finborough from Suffolk. This led to a winning streak against Radnor House, Twickenham and St Mary's to qualify for the knockouts. But a loss in the semi-finals meant another match with Radnor House for third place. Despite playing some of their best hockey of the day and dominating, Dodderhill could not score the elusive winner. Both keepers performed well in the penalty shootout, though, which ended with a sudden-death win, 1-0, for Dodderhill. Right. Here's a story about Seven Stars. Seven Stars' boss, Melissa Bessel, wants an error-free error-free display to take victory in their 2020 Vitality Netball Super League opener. Stars launch their fourth season against Saracens Mavericks tomorrow. That's That was last Saturday, actually, I have to say, with matches involving all 10 teams at a packed arena in Birmingham. Bessel, in her first term as head coach, after starting last September, said... We need to stick to our game plan, our structures, and play like it's our last game of netball that we will ever play. Every team has been training hard, wants to win, and be competitive, but ultimately it will come down to the team that makes the least amount of errors on the day. This is what we must ensure we do. I definitely think that with the high calibre of players in Stars this season and the experience and knowledge we have, something special, and I am very excited to watch us grow. However, it's sport, and anything can and will happen. You can have the best players in the sport, but if we can't do the basics very well, this is all out of the window. Bessel feels Saracens are going to be one of the top teams this year. She said Mavericks are a quality side and we have a lot of respect for them as we do for all the other teams in the Super League. 
They have an experienced, solid team this year. They have huge amounts of experience, especially with their England players. So we're ready for a hard battle. Right. Right. Going to make this the last sports story now. Um, And so we'd better include some rugby, I think. The headline is Moulds. Players push each other. Matt Moulds wants to prove to fans how hard on each other Warriors are by breaking a cycle of near misses. Saturday's 21-20 defeat to Bath was Worcester's third on the bounce at six ways, with winning positions relinquished on each occasion. And summer recruits Mould summer recruits Mould is calling on colleagues to show the same ruthless edge on match days as they do behind the scenes in pursuit of a top half finish. There's a great culture at Worcester Warriors, said the experienced hooker. There are a lot of great people at this club and a lot of talented rugby players as well. Success would be getting into the top six, but I also want us to show what a tight-knit unit we all are. You can see when a team is really tight in how they defend the energy that they bring, and that is something that we can improve on by taking the culture we have out onto the pitch and showing that out there. It comes from training and being hard on each other. We are such good mates, we can be harder on each other when we're on the training pitch. We can demand more of each other and no one takes it to heart. Losses to Custers in Europe and Wasps and Bath in the Gallagher Premiership have resulted in fans doubting whether Warriors can put together a full 80 minutes, but Moulds is keen to keep a sense of perspective when analysing good and bad. He added, I think it is important to back up the good things with more of them, not let the foot off the throat in that sense. That's what we're trying to work on, minimising those soft areas on the pitch, because if you have too many in the training week, they lead into the game. It is important to take the lessons out of it and learn where we need to, but also the positives. If it had flipped and we'd won by one point, it would be easier to look at the good things we did well and you forget about some of the bad. It is trying to have that mindset while we don't get over the line. You cannot come in and start the next week negatively because you waste a couple of days and you can't do that here. You have to improve every week and that has to be your focus on every morning. Meanwhile, Moulds is heartened by the prospect of minimal change to the squad ahead of next season. It shows that Solly, that's the director of rugby, Alan Solomons, believes he has the right people for the job. And he's also good, always good to feel that you are part of his plans, he added. Retention of players is a good thing, and it's good for that culture, and I think we are heading in the right direction. Right, that concludes the sport. We're now going to move to birthdays, I think. Uh, Catherine, please. Well, warm birthday wishes to four of our listeners this week. Uh, on the 1st of March, Michael Wynne is having his birthday. On the 2nd of March, it's Marjorie Pierce's turn. Happy birthday to Stanley Burden on the 3rd of March. And Peter Williams will be celebrating his birthday on the 4th of March. Well, many happy returns to all those. Um, sunrise and sunset times, this is of tomorrow, of course. Sunrise is at 6.56 and sunset is at 17.41. That's 20 to 6. Right. Catherine is going to read us a thought for the week. Please, if you would. Yes, I will. And today's thought is from Isaiah 40, verses 30 to 31. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. 
Right. Thank you. That concludes the substance of our program. Um, and if I can thank Catherine, uh, who's been particularly brave in reading with a quite a difficult throat. Um, after the music, I shall read the obituaries. Here are the obituaries. Guido Amadio of the railway in Defford died after a short illness on Monday, February the 10th, aged 86. The funeral service will be at the Vale Crematorium Fladbury on Friday, March the 6th at 1pm. Family flowers only, please. Donations for friends of the elderly may be sent to E. Hill Funeral Directors, Pershaw WR101HZ. Doris May Black passed away peacefully at Worcestershire Royal on February the 4th, 2020, aged 88. She will be greatly missed. Lynn Digger passed away peacefully on February the 10th, aged 69. A service to celebrate Lynn's life took place today at the Worcester Crematorium at 1.45. Harold Henry Russell passed away peacefully on 10th of February. Um, family flowers only, please. His funeral service will take place tomorrow at Worcester Crematorium Chapel at 10.45, followed by burial at Astwood Cemetery. Donations, if desired, to Midlands Air Ambulance may be sent care of R.L. Ray Funeral Directors Limited, 17 Rock Hill Bromsgrove, B617LL, phone 01527831723. Mavis Winifred Baddeley died in hospital on February the 10th, aged 82. The funeral service will take place at Worcester Crematorium on Wednesday, March the 4th at 2.30pm. Flowers are welcome, or donations, if preferred, are for the Acorn Children's Hospice. Inquiries to Hoskins Funeral Direct, 129 Astwood Road, Worcester, telephone Worcester 27862. Glenda Audrey Montgomery died peacefully on February the 7th, aged 88. Colours to be worn for a celebration of her life at Crown East Church, Rushwick, on Friday, February the 28th at 2pm. No flowers, please, but donations to your favourite charity. charity. Evelyn Bufton passed away peacefully on February 16th, aged 77. The funeral service is at Worcester Crematorium on Monday, March 2nd at 1pm. No flowers by request, please, but donations if desired for Acorns Children's Hospice Trust or St Richard's Hospice may be left on the collection plate at the crematorium or sent to E.J. Gummery and Son, 6870 Ombersley Road, Worcester, WR3 7EU. Philip Edward Leslie Centre passed away sadly after recent ill health. The funeral service will be at Powick Church on Tuesday, March the 3rd, 2020 at 2pm. Family flowers only. Donations, if desired, sent to Midlands Air Ambulance. And Drinkwater passed away on January the 30th, aged 77. The funeral service is tomorrow at 1.15 at St. Clement's Church, Worcester, followed by burial at St. John's Cemetery. All flowers and inquiries to Bedwardine Funeral Services and the telephone number there is Worcester 748811. Jocelyn Gwyneth Driver, Lynn, sadly passed away peacefully on February the 11th, aged 95. 
The funeral service will be at Worcester Crematorium on Thursday, March the 5th at 10am. Family flowers only, donations to the RNLI at the crematorium. Lynn James passed away peacefully on February the 11th. The funeral service is on Monday, March the 2nd at Worcester Crematorium at 2.30pm. Family flowers only, please, but donations for air ambulance may be left in the donation box at the crematorium. Veronica Keenan, known as Vera, passed away peacefully at the Willows Care Home on the 14th of February, aged 102. The funeral service at St George's Catholic Church on Tuesday, March 3rd at 12 noon. Family flowers only, please, but donations, if desired, for site to concern, may be left on the collection plate at church or sent to E.J. Gummery and Son, 6870 Ombersley Road, Worcester, WR37EU. Barbara Irene Baker passed away peacefully at Worcester Royal on February the 15th, aged 92. Funeral service will take place at Worcester Crematorium on Wednesday, March 4th at 3.15. Family flowers only pleased. Donations, if desired, for Acorn Children's Hospice may be left in the collection box available at the service or sent by cheque directly to the charity. Inquiries to the Cooperative Funeral Care, Worcester 22137. Patricia Ann Clark, name Meredith, passed away peacefully on Friday 14th of February, aged 80. Funeral service will take place at Worcester Crematorium on Wednesday, March the 4th at 10am. Pat's request is that anyone attending should wear something purple. Flowers to Co-op Funeral Care Worcester or donations to Cancer Research UK are both welcome. Jean Charlotte Hunt passed away peacefully on February the 12th, aged 94. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Wednesday, March the 4th at 10.45. Family flowers only, please, but donations, if desired, for the guide dogs or New College Worcester may be left on the collection plate at the crematorium or sent to E.J. Gummery & Son, 6870 Ombersley Road, Worcester, WR3 7EU. Patricia Mutter, nay Scrafton, known as Pat, died peacefully on February the 18th, aged 73. The funeral service is at Worcester Crematorium on Tuesday, March the 3rd at 10.45. Family flowers only, please, but donations, if desired, for Dementia UK may be left at the crematorium or sent care of Bedwardine Funeral Services, Worcester 74881. Jean Malloy passed away on February the 18th, aged 76. Funeral service is at Worcester Crematorium on Thursday, March the 5th at 10.45. Family flowers only, please, but donations if desired for the RNLI. These may be left on the collection plate at the crematorium or sent to EJ Gummery & Sons, 6870 Ombersley Road, Worcester, WR3 7EU. Finally, Dennis Morse, known as Jake, died peacefully at St. Richard's Hospice on February the 11th, aged 75. The funeral service will take place at Worcester Crematorium on Thursday, March the 5th at 2.15. Family flowers only, please. Donations, if desired, for St. Richard's Hospice may be left at the crematorium or sent to Bedwardine Funeral Services. Telephone Worcester 748811.